Good morning. It is great to see you today. Isn't it good to be in God's house? Amen. Have you ever been asked the question, why? If you have children, if you're a parent, I know the answer is yes. Um, the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about why. And we want to know why Christians do what they do. Two weeks ago, we talked about why serve. And last week, we talked about why the Bible. And Pastor laid out a fantastic uh, Bible study program for those of us who want to get started um, just being in the Word regularly and looking to see what God wants to say to us through His Word. Today, we're going to talk about why the church. Why belong? Why give my time? Our passage today is from the very early days of the church, and it's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. At the time of this scripture, the Holy Spirit had been poured out in a mighty way like never, never before. And at this point, Peter had preached. And get this, to the church, there were added 3,000 people in one day. That's amazing. So here's what happened in the early church. Will you stand with me as we read the scripture? Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the church that you have created and that you have made available to us to come together and to worship you and to learn about you and to be challenged in our hearts and our spirits as to how you want us to live our lives each day to be a blessing to others. We pray your blessing and your anointing on our pastor. We pray that as he speaks, that our hearts would be ready to receive. And God, that we would walk out these doors uh, better people, better equipped to serve you and better equipped to serve others. Guide us and lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a few weeks ago, my son had graduated from high school, and uh, he went on a, a trip with one of his friends. And was flying back into St. Louis Airport, and, and we drove down, Renee and I drove down uh, to pick him up. And after we picked him up, it had been a long day, the flights had been delayed, and things had happened. We, we went out to dinner, grabbed a, a bite to eat, and didn't want to just turn around and drive home. Uh, so we went to a mall, just kind of walk around a mall, which, you know, guys, is always dangerous. Um, and uh, Renee and I were, were in a, went, went to a certain shop and, and, and were shopping for a couple things we wanted to pick up. And she was with the manager looking for what she wanted. And I was standing at the counter waiting for her to come and waiting for the manager to come. And there was a young man uh, there and uh, that worked there. And he was just standing there at the counter with me. And so, you know, just natural to, to, to talk. And, and so I asked him how long did he work there. And he said, just a few weeks. And I said, well, are you enjoying your job? And he said, well, it's just a temporary job. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, I'm just working here so I can have enough money to join a fit club. I said, okay, really? He said, yeah. He goes, yeah, I'm going to be a model. I said, so you're a man with a goal. He said, yeah, I, I, I am. He goes, I'm going to be a, a model someday. And, and right now I'm just enjoying my anonymity. I, re I want to remember what it's like to be able to walk through the mall and nobody know me. I said, I said well, that, 
that's a good thing to remember. Uh, that's a good thing. And, and then I said to him, I said, to him, I said uh, tell me, where, where do you go to church? You would have thought I said to him, where do you go to have great big men hold you down and pull your teeth out slowly with pliers? <laughs> I mean, the, the concept of going to church, you could just tell, wasn't even anywhere on his radar screen. And, and his, his exact statement to me was, why would I go to church? I mean, that was his exact statement to me. And uh, now I knew I didn't have time to give a great theological defense of the church because uh, we're just there for a couple of minutes. So I, I, just, I just said to him, I said, uh, well, I spent my whole life in church. And, and I found that church, you find the most loving and kind people that you'll ever want to meet. You'll find them in church. They will cheer for you when you succeed. And at church, they will, the church will weep with you and, and stand with you when things are going tough. You will get friends at church who will always want the best for you and will always tell you the truth. You'll get a whole new family at church. And he looked at me and said, really? And I was kind of, he was kind of amazed at the thought. And I said, really? I said, decent people. The church is a, a great place to find faithful relationships. He said, really? And I said, really? And, and guess what? When you get to be a famous model, they won't treat you any differently. You'll know that they love you for who you are and not what you are. They'll love you for who you are, not how much money you're making. It won't be your riches and fame that want them to be, that will make them want to be around you. They'll just be your family. And I said, the church can be the greatest place in the world. He said, really? And I said, really? About that time, Renee and the manager came back over, and we made our purchase. And, and, and just as I, I began to leave, I looked at him and said, listen, uh, there's a lot of great churches here in St. Louis. Go look for one. Visit a few of them until you find one that teaches the Bible. When you find one that teaches the Bible, you will find friends that you can really count on. And he looked at me, he goes, really? <laughs> and I said, really? Now, I, I don't know where the Holy Spirit's taken that with that young man. I'll never see him again unless he becomes a famous model. <laughs> but I know what to see the Holy Spirit can do in somebody's life. And, and you might look at me and say, well, come on, Pastor, do you really believe all of that? And I, I would tell you, yes, I found all of that to be true. Now, I'm not in a cocoon. I know the church isn't a perfect place. I've had some people who, thought, who I thought would stick closer to me than a brother run away at the first little trouble bit of water that we hit. Haven't you? I've had some people who uh, should be loving and kind, you know, uh, prophesy Christian curses upon my head. Haven't you? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was over in the, the schools, right before school, the last couple of days of school was getting out, and there was a mother there uh, who was with her little four-year-old waiting for one of the older brothers or sisters to come out, and, 
as we walked by, the little girl was looking at me, and I, I looked at her, and I said, hi. And the little girl looked at me and said, I don't like you. <laughs> the mother was just... <sighs> and I said, sweetheart, that's a long line you're getting in there. That's a long, long line. So when someone says to me, I don't go to church because I was hurt by a Christian, I always look at them and say, yeah, so was I. I've been hurt by a few Christians. I've had a few Christians not treat me like Christians. That's okay. You know, I always tell them this. Uh, I've had a couple of bad, I've had a bad watermelon or two in my life, but I still enjoy eating watermelons. You know, I, 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 instead of thinking about the bad watermelons, I think about the bright red ones that are cold and juicy and sweet, that when you bite into them, it explodes in your mouth in sweetness and dissatisfies. That's, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful one. Those are the, those are the ones I'm looking for. And the, when I get a bad one, you know what I do with a bad one? I just spit it out and throw it away. And, and that's, that, that's kind of the way I, I look at, at, at the church. They're some of the greatest people in the whole world that you'll ever want to meet kind and loving, sweet to the taste, wonderful to be around. And I'm not going to stop enjoying those because I bite into one every now and then it doesn't taste so good. I'm just going to throw that out and move on. Don't let a couple of bad things keep you from enjoying the joy and the delight that comes from the good things. Somebody says, you know, well, there's hypocrites there. Yeah, there's sometimes. Sometimes. But there's also a lot of sincere good people that I'm going to get around them. And I'm going to spend my time in those places. So let me ask you, what do you when you think about the church, how do you see the church in your life? How do you comprehend the fellowship? Do you see it just as a place you come once a week on Sunday and you hear a message and you go home? How do you, how do you define the church? Uh, what metaphors do you think people would use today to describe the church if their life spoke the metaphor? Because I'm, I'm certain nobody would say these things out loud. But sometimes our life says more than what our, what our words say. And for some people, if you look at their life, the metaphor that they would use for a church is a restaurant. They go there occasionally to get something to eat. They may actually look around and go to several places, different restaurants to go to get something to eat. But there's no real commitment to the place. There's no real ownership in it. There's no real service in it. It's just a place they go occasionally to get served and to have a meal and to go home. Some people treat the church more like a, a free clinic. When they're sick or they're really hurting, they run off there because it doesn't cost them anything. And they get taken care of and they get healed up and then they disappear again until they're hurting, until they're in pain and they need somebody to help them. It doesn't cost much. Some people have kind of approached the church like an entertainment center. If there's something there that really entertains them or speaks to them, they'll be there. They'll go, they'll go get that. But if it doesn't sound interesting that day or it's not in their wheelhouse, they're not going to be around too much. Some people approach church like religious penance. I've got to go once a week, whether I like it or not. I've got to go put my time in. So let's find the one that has the shortest services. And let's go there. 
But, but when God thinks about the church, when he thinks about what the church should be like, when he dreamed of the church, how does he describe it? What does he say about the church and what it's supposed to be? And when you hear God's metaphors, when you hear how he describes the church, it begins to give us some insight about how we're supposed to act and what we're supposed to be. Let me tell you a couple of them. He describes the church as a family. Now, I know there are dysfunctional families, but God's not talking about dysfunctional families. He's talking about a family that's in order, a family that's healthy, a family that loves each other, a family that cares about each other, a family that's in, in, in right position. He, he talks about the church being a family, a, a place where when you go there, you feel more at home than any other place. You feel more connected. You feel more at ease. You feel like you belong there more than any place else that you go. And God says, the church is a family. It's a family. It's a place where, where people who are blue come and, and they just go, oh, I'm at home. I'm at home. He talks about the church being an athletic team like members of an athletic team who are joined together and working for a cause. He talks about the church being an army with a task and a battle to face and a, a, a warfare that they're involved in. One of his most clear descriptions and metaphors of the church that really talks about the depth of it is when he describes the church as a, fa as a body. It's like a body that all of us have different functions, all of us have different roles to play inside of the body, but they're all working for the health of the body and for the health of others, and they're working and they're striving together for the, for the body to have what it needs and to do what it needs for the body to be healthy. He talks about the church being a flock led by a good shepherd under the directions of a good shepherd that are being protected because they're together and the good shepherd is watching out over them. He talks about the church being a holy nation, a separate nation, a separate society that in the midst of the dark world, that the world sees it and should be attracted to it because of its beauty, because of its love for one another. All of those metaphors speak to connection, to people being connected, not, not to people being casual, but people being connected together, feeling something about each other. Not just something, but feeling something good, love, kindness, wanting the best for each other. It speaks to commitment, people being committed to one another desiring the best and offering the best to help that other person. See, in a healthy family, if somebody has a need, the whole family responds to the need. If someone's sick, everybody wants them to get better, wants to help them get better. If somebody is going away to school, everybody wants to help them make that transition in a healthy way. There's a commitment together. And it's, they all speak about unified purpose being unified around the same cause. The scripture that we read today, that Renee shared today, out of Acts chapter 2, is when the church is just bursting forth in life onto the scene of the world. 
Jesus spent all these years teaching the disciples and preparing them. And then he says to them, go and wait in Jerusalem until my power comes upon you. We've been, we've been talking about that on Wednesday night and what all that means. And now the power of the Holy Spirit has fallen on them. And it bursts forth in such a way that 3,000 people are added to the church in a single day, in a single city, in one local fellowship. And in Acts chapter 2, it tells us what they did. And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Devoted is a word that speaks to setting other things aside, maybe even good things, setting other things aside to accomplish one purpose. The devoted athlete will set other things aside to buffet his body and to prepare his body for that athletic event. That devoted musician will set other things aside to practice and to prepare. Maybe good things, maybe nice things, maybe fun things, not necessarily just evil things, but they're going to set things aside for the sake of accomplishing that goal. See, you don't want a casual medical doctor. You want a medical doctor with continuing devotion. When I was, my medical doctor through the early years of my life was a doctor that my parents had gone to that was my medical doctor when I was born. And he was my medical doctor all through the early years of my life until I was in my late 20s when he, when he retired. And when he retired, I kind of freaked out. That was the only doctor I'd ever really been to. And I was kind of freaking out because, you know, I have some allergy issues and he knew exactly what to do. I mean, he had, he had a medication regimen down and he had, you know, things that I, when I, when I got in trouble, things that I would take and, and, and I would, you know, he would help me feel better. So I was kind of freaking out that he was gone. So I'd gone in, gotten a list of everything, written everything out and that, that, was, that was going, going on. And, and finally I went to the new doctor, this young guy. I go to this new doctor and I sit down with him. And uh, he said, just tell me about yourself as we're talking. I said, well, I've been to this doctor all my life. He says, yeah, I know. I'm getting a lot of his patients. And I said, uh, he, I have allergies. And, 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 you know, certain times a year I have these problems and these problems. And here's what he does for me. And I gave him the list. I wanted him to know what my wise old medical doctor had done for me so he would have it right. And he looked at it. He read this list of things. And he very kindly looked at me and he said, now we're going to throw all of these away. And I'm going to give you some other things that are going to be much, much better than these old things. We've made some progress. And the things he gave me were so much better than the old things. You know, what you want is you want that medical doctor who's devoted to the new thing to growing and learning and getting better. So here's the, here's the New Testament church. They were devoted to certain things. They set other things aside to make sure they got these things right. And the first thing that it says here in Acts, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now remember, 3,000 are added to the church in a day. They didn't have Bibles to hand out to everybody. They didn't have CDs to pass out to listen to the apostles, hey, listen, these, here's a series. Here's, here's Peter's series, and here's, here's John's series, and here's, here's Matthew's. They didn't have any of that. 
They didn't have websites they could go to and say, hey, if you miss a message, get on the website and get it. They didn't have anything like that. They just had to devote themselves to taking the time to hearing the Word of God, talking about the teachings of Jesus and the kingdom of God, and learning how to be the people God would have them to be. They made a devoted effort to do that, and now here we are with all of these tools. Shouldn't we be doing the same? They devoted themselves to that. And they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now when you think about fellowship, what does that mean to you? Some of you may think about the fellowship hall. We have one down here. You may think about, oh, we go down there and there's Sunday school classes and we go down there for, for certain dinners and we go down there for certain you know, gatherings and certain things and it's a great place together. Or you may think about, you know, if you really have Christian ease down yeah, we stood out in the entryway and we talked about the ball games that happened this week and we talked about the different things going on in our family and the vacation we just got back from, the one we're getting ready to go on. Oh, wow, we had such great fellowship today. Such great fellowship today. Uh, but the word is deeper than that. The word fellowship uh, comes from a, a Greek word, koinonia. And, and when you think about koinonia, when you think about fellowship in that sense, it speaks to the issue, again, of a joint cause. So when, when he was right, when this was being written by Luke, and he said they gave themselves, devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the joint cause of the fellowship. To growing in the kingdom, to establishing the kingdom, to living in the kingdom. When you look at this word and you study it deeply, it speaks to connection that that these people gave themselves devoted themselves to knowing each other to helping each other to feeling like a family to being together with others when you look at this word fellowship it speaks to care they started to share with each other now it's interesting to note that it's the only place in the new testament and that that says something to us but it's it's the only place in the New Testament where they sold everything they had and gave it to one place and shared it, tried to share it evenly. It's the only place where that happened. The rest of the New Testament does not call us to do that, and that passage doesn't either. No place else throughout the church do you see that happening on a regular basis. But what it speaks to is the connection that comes when we see others in need. And so you see guys like James and Peter and others writing uh, and John about the great love we should have for one another and how that love is is practiced in very practical ways to help somebody to give of what we have to make other people's lives better to use our resources in the family to bless one another when you think about this word fellowship it speaks to unity they devoted themselves to building a unified fellowship, to understanding how the family worked, and to being unified in their efforts. So later in the book of Acts, when they run into this 
problem with the feeding and the caring of the widows and those in need. And it seems like things are not being done fairly. They speak to the apostles and the apostles pray. And they come up with this great idea of deacons that everybody respects. Everybody knows will be fair. Everybody knows will be what will serve, serve each other equitably, equitably and, and take care of each other. And they say, let us establish some men to oversee this and to organize this and to do this so that unity can be protected and so that everyone is treated fairly. This is what we're talking about when we talk about fellowship. Fellowship is not about a casual relationship that people uh, have, have around some common trivial issue like who won the baseball game yesterday. But fellowship is about this connection. It's a fellowship is about a society of people working together for the same purpose, called together, united together to show the light of the gospel in their own life and in others' lives and to the world so that people will see and know Jesus. It's interesting that when Jesus prayed for the church in John, he prays this prayer, Father, let them be one, even as you and I are one, so that the world may know that you sent me. He says one of the greatest testimonies to the world is the church walking in proper fellowship with one another. And when it does that, the world comes into it and has to go. This has to be a God thing because it's not a natural thing. Why? Because it breaks down societal barriers. It breaks down racial barriers. It breaks down all barriers established by men and establishes the love of Christ flowing through us to serve one another. Now what is the purpose? Hebrews chapter 10 says this. And let us consider. Let's, let's think about this. Let's Let's ponder this. Let's, let's weigh this out. Let us consider how to stir one another up, how to get people to do certain things. Stir each other up. Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, capital D, meaning the day the Lord returns, as you see the day, drawing near. So here we begin to see the purpose of the church and why we, we come to church and why we give ourselves to church. The first one we saw there in the book of Acts, we, we come to church to devote ourselves to the teaching, to making sure we've got this right, to obeying it and following, to, be, to being serious Christ followers, to trying to be formed in the image of Christ and to live like Christ lived, to be healed from our brokenness. And to be a people who love properly and serve properly and live and see others properly. We devote ourselves to teaching. But it's also so that we would encourage one another. Stir one another up. Now, in, in what ways? Well, first of all, stir one another up to love each other. To love each other. So instead of somebody coming and saying, so-and-so did me wrong. Oh, yeah, they do everybody wrong. No, no, no. The call of the church is to stir love up. Oh, you know, they may have made a mistake. That, that may be, but you know what? We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to bless them. 
The call of the church is to stir a spirit of love up for other people. Oh, I don't like the way that person sings. Oh, but you know what? Don't you enjoy that they're singing with all their heart? You may not like their music, but don't you love the fact that they're singing with all their heart for the glory of God? It sets our self aside and it stirs up love. The passion is not... See, when the enemy gets in us, he gets us to talk in divisive ways. When God gets in us, he gets us to talk in loving ways. And to stir up love between each other. And to point one another towards love. The second thing that it does is it encourages us in good works. When the fellowship is healthy, and it's right, it encourages... It sees somebody teaching a class to our son. I said, hey, I want to just thank you for pouring your life into my son. I want to thank you for teaching this class that blessed me today. I want to thank you for singing that song. That, that encouraged me so much. I want to thank you for running this small group. I, what a blessing to be in your small group. It speaks words of encouragement towards good works. Oh, I, I heard you took a meal to so-and-so. Thank you for doing that. What a great thing that you did that. The, 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 the believer is looking for ways to encourage other believers in their good works. And that even goes a little bit deeper when you get to really know somebody where you ask them, tell me, what are you doing for the kingdom? What are you doing? Well, you know, I come to church every week. I want to just encourage you. Get involved in something. Find some place. You're going to find new life when you begin to serve others. And there's a the call for all of us to encourage one another to good works. That's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us. The Holy Spirit is, all the more as you see the day, in, the, the day coming, the, the day of Christ, encourage people to good works. And then there's just simple encouragement. Because as, as you know, as you go through life, it can be discouraging sometimes. It can be weighing sometimes. It can be troubling sometimes. And just to be that joy-filled person that looks at others around you. He says, you know what? With the help of God, we're going to make it. We're going to pray together. We're going we're to stand. I want you to know you can call me anytime. I want to encourage you. I want, I want you to leave here today knowing that whatever you're facing, it's going to be better. That's the call of the church. That's how God sees the church. When he thinks about us being a family, when he talks about us being a body, when he talks about us being an army together, he's talking about us living intentionally and with purpose to do certain things in each other's lives. Now listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This scripture is telling us that there's strength in fellowship. We live in a day where culture and the world is trying to shape our values, shape the values of our children. And some people, their answer to that is to hide from the world. When God wants us to be able to walk in the world and show the light of the gospel to the world. But the way we're able to do that is because we stay in fellowship with each other so that when the world begins to influence us, because we're in fellowship, because we're connected, because we're in communication with other believers, 
We're not easily swayed by this world. We don't buy into the values of this world because we've got a strong base of other believers around us that are speaking and praying with us and talking about those issues and helping us know the right way to live our lives. The converse of that is true as well. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. You throw your child into a place filled with bad company, and that's where their friendships come from. That's where their influences come from. Don't be surprised when their morals are destroyed. Because bad company destroys good morals. If you let you and your, your wife begin to run around with people who don't have good morals, don't be surprised when your spouse begins to do things that, that you're not comfortable with and talk in ways you're not comfortable because bad company destroys good morals. Say, Pastor, does that mean that I need to sub- completely separate myself from No. It means we need to be connected to enough believers that we can be a witness even in the toughest places of life, but where our closest relationships. I know when I go out into the world and around people that aren't godly, I'm there to be an influence on them. I don't want them to be an influence on me. I want the belt of righteousness to be firmly on so that when I walk away from that place, that I'm, I'm the one bearing the influence. So listen, fellowship is also refreshing. You know, sometimes, just, get, just like the heat of the day. We haven't had too many of those days this summer where the sun's just beating down and wearing you out. I'm ready for a few of those days. But it's refreshing to get a you know, fresh glass of iced tea or a, a bite of a sweet, juicy, cold watermelon on that day. It's refreshing, isn't it? And that's what the fellowship is supposed to be. You should be able to walk in the door of the fellowship and we should be refreshing to each other. We should be refreshing. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 15. I appeal to you, brothers, by the, our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. He's saying, look, the, the battle of the day, the thing I'm called to do, man, there's some opposition against me. It's hard. I'm getting beat down. Will you pray for me that I'll be able to stand in this and, and pray for me that I'll be able to get to you soon? Because I need to be refreshed. I need to be refreshed in your company. We should be refreshing each other. And, and number five, the final thing here today. Fellowship is meant to make me better. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. If I get around a bunch of really godly guys, it helps me get, become more godly. When I get around godly people, it sharpens me. When I hear them talk about prayer, when I hear them talk about the various things in their life, it just sharpens my life. And my microphone is falling apart here. Don't let that distract you. I'll let it distract me. Fellowship is supposed to sharpen our lives and make us better. And so I would ask you, is, is that happening in your life? What do you think about the church? What does God see 
when he thinks about the church? Do you think when he dreams about the church, he just dreams about a bunch of people getting together once a week and kind of, you know, maybe enjoying some music together and maybe lifting their hands and praising him a little bit and then going out and that's the end of it? Or do you think God sees a family? Do you think he sees a body? Do you think he sees a flock? That's what he tells us he sees. A holy nation. A people who love each other, who care about each other, who are devoted to his word, devoted to pursuing his spirit, devoted to his vision and his purpose. People who are patient and kind with each other, but are working together, devoted, giving of their lives together to accomplish the work of the kingdom and carrying each other's burdens. A shining light in a broken, dark world. That's what the local church is supposed to be. A people who love each other and cares about each other. When you think about heaven, what do you think it's going to be like? Think there's going to be little you know, factions and people mad at each other and people upset, people don't talk to each other. People no, it's going to be this great family of God committed to the purpose of God. And so the question is, why not start now? Why not take on that spirit now? So, are you in that kind of fellowship? You know, you can sit here in this church and we can be trying to build that fellowship and there may be people all around you who are in that kind of fellowship and you're not in it. You just come once a week or every, every now and then. Because, see, to be in this kind of fellowship that we're talking about today, if we're to be in the fellowship talking about in, in Acts chapter 2, there's a couple of requirements. The first requirement is it's intentional. You're intentional. You make up your mind. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to purpose in my life to devote myself, to set some things aside for a higher thing. And I'm going to get involved and I'm going to find myself connected to others. And the second part of it is it's invitational. We're inviting people to come into our lives and we're opening up the time in our lives so that people can be in. See, if you don't do those two things, you can sit in the midst of any church you want to sit in and you'll never really be a part of the fellowship. You'll just be somebody sitting in a church chair or church pew. But when you get intentional and you begin to invite people to say, you know what? I want you to speak into my life. I want you to be a family member to me. I want you to be somebody who encourages me. I want you to be somebody who speaks into my life about the Word of God so I get sharpened in the Word of God. Sharpen me. Refresh me. And you begin to look at people around you and say, I am open for conversation from you. I am open to you to talk to my... To my. When you begin to invite people into your life and open your life, you begin to become part of the fellowship. But if you keep yourself closed up, you can go to small groups, you can come to church, but if you keep your heart closed and you don't share what's going on in your life, the struggle that's going on in your life, the problem that's going on in your life, you don't share it and say, what do I do? How can you pray for me? How do I get victory over this? You'll never, you'll never have the power of the fellowship. You'll always have the struggle of being alone. And you don't have to do that. 
The second part of that is this. Are you offering that to others? Are you putting yourself in a position where others feel the freedom to say to you, here's the struggle going on in my life. Here's where I'm at in life today. I found one of the greatest places to do that is to share my struggles with other people. Because when I share my struggles with other people, they begin to realize I'm not just a guy who sits on the platform and I'm in a cocoon of God and nothing bad ever happens to me. But I'm praying my way through things and I'm learning through things and together we can find the, the purpose of the kingdom. And the requirement of that is this, taking the time to be with others. This is why we invite you into C2 groups. So you can get, get away from just looking at the back of somebody's head and sit around in a group and look into one another's faces. Where instead of one guy talking, it can be all of us talking. And we can talk about what's going on in our life and say, you know what, I'm struggling with my 13-year-old. And everybody in the room can go, been there, done that. How do we get victory? How do we win? How do we move forward? Let's not be defensive. Let's be open. Let's not be closed. Let's be open. Let's let the power of God flow through us and let the body be the body to bring health and refreshing to us so the enemy has no way to destroy us. But that that three-chord strand will be strong and unbroken because the power of God is alive in the fellowship. In Psalm 133, yeah, give the Lord a clap offering for that. In Psalm 133, it says, Blessed are is it when brothers dwell together in unity. And it talks about the empowerment of God that comes. In Acts, right after this passage, listen to what happens as these people devote themselves to this great cause in Acts. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. The whole community of Jerusalem was filled with awe because of what was happening. And listen to what else happens. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. What's it saying? The blessing of God came, the power of God came, and miraculous things took place as they devoted themselves to the right things. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And now listen to this verse. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When the world saw that, they were attracted to it. They were in awe of it. And the power of God flowed through them. And now the door to Christianity was open to people. And they flooded in. That's why the church. The church is supposed to be the shining light of the gospel to a world living in darkness. Amen? Right now we're going to share communion together. 
I'm just going to ask you to prepare your hearts as the ushers come and wait on us today and, and serve us. Can you just hold these emblems in your hand and we'll share them together in a moment. Yesterday I had the privilege of talking with some friends and we, we, our conversation turned to the cross and how Christ turned this terrible emblem of death into this great emblem of victory where he won the ultimate price for us where the work was finished but hear me today you can't come into the fellowship except through the work of the cross you'll always be outside the fellowship of what God really has because in the fellowship we need the power of Jesus to be alive in us and that only comes at the cross and that comes when I surrender my life to Jesus and trust him to be my savior and surrender to him to be my Lord to be the Lord of my tongue and the Lord of my thoughts and the Lord of my desires the Lord of my actions have you made that surrender have you put your faith in him to be your savior and to trust him to be your Lord if you haven't before we take communion today you can do that you can take that step because he's waiting for you he's standing at the door and knocking As every head's bowed every eye closed let's pray father you know the condition of every heart in this room and father if we are born again today then let us just rejoice in that in the fellowship but if we're not let us take the step to join today in Jesus name and be added to the body just like thousands were added to the body on that first day. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just say, Pastor, today, I want to be added to that body. I want to be added to that count. We just raise your hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me. I see that hand. God bless you. Others today, you'll raise your hand and say, pray for me. Anyone else this morning, God bless you. Cross this balcony today. Father, you see every hand that was raised this morning, and we thank you, Father, for the freedom that you give us to join in your body and to be a member of your fellowship. And so today we ask you to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And we confess that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. And we ask you to help us to live for you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you raised your hand for that or if you needed to and you didn't, there's a prayer room right across this hall. Before you leave, go in there and talk with some folks today. If you have another prayer need, go over there and, and talk with those folks today. They'll be happy to pray with you. But let's stand together this morning. This emblem we hold in our hands is of the body of Christ, a body broken for us so that we can be whole. And it reminds us that today we are his body. The Spirit of God is supposed to flow through us to do his work in this community just as if he was walking here. The Bible says we should take that seriously. And it's an action that believers take to remind ourselves his body was broken so ours can be whole. His body was broken but we are supposed to be a united body to the world around us so that they can see the light of his glory.
Father in heaven, we thank you for what Jesus did for us. That he allowed himself to be broken so that, Father, we could be whole. And so today, Father, I pray that none of us would even desire to be alone or Christians. But we would understand, Father, we're supposed to be part of the fellowship. That there's life and strength there. And we're supposed to offer that to others and receive it from others. And today, Father, we thank you so much because it's all centered around the name of Jesus and what he has done for us. Help us to live in honor of that name every day in every way. In Jesus' name we receive this. Amen. Father, we hold this in our hands today that represents the blood of your Son given for us. And we thank you today for the purity that we experience, not of our own, but of his. And pray that you'd help us to live and walk in the purity of his spirit, his nature, in the way we love one another, that the world may know that he is your son. In Jesus' name.